A lot of the time what we do as human beings is we feel that guilt, we feel that shame, we feel that pain, and we just want to suppress it. The only way out of pain, the only way out of guilt, the only way out of shame is through it. Hi, I'm Bobby, a certified caregiving consultant and educator and a frequent speaker at caregiver conferences. And I'm her husband, Mike, and I'm a certified caregiver advocate and a certified music therapist. And this is Roger That, the podcast dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. Here we focus on the caregiver, offer our practical insights, and share some emotional support. And we might even share a laugh or two, because we all know laughter's the best medicine. And don't forget the wine, Mike. I won't forget your wine, sweetheart. (laughs) (laughs) You know, many caregivers feel negative emotions due to hypervigilance and hyperawareness that dementia care requires. These negative emotions, stress, anxiety, anger, depression, it also takes a toll on a caregiver's physical well-being. Um, It absolutely does. And the sad fact is that many caregivers die before the person in their care due to their neglect of their own needs and and the level of stress under which they live sometimes for many years. Which brings us to today's guest, who is a former Navy SEAL commander turned mindfulness and meditation teacher. He has served in Iraq, Afghanistan, off the coast of Somalia, and in Panama. He brings mindfulness and meditation to high-performing teams to aid in dealing with stress, anxiety, and depression, all the while increasing focus and creativity and productivity. Since ending his 24-year military career in 2020, he is now dedicated to spreading the practices of meditation and mindfulness to help others. Please welcome John McCaskill. Thank you, John, for joining us. I am so glad that I reached out to you and you were able to find time in your busy schedule to talk to us and our listeners. Indeed, Bobby. Thank you for reaching out. Uh, it's an honor to be here with you, and, and I love what you guys are doing and what you stand for, so I'm honored to be here. Now, we, we know that there are many causes of stress and anxiety in our society, our our show specifically deals with dementia, but there are many military veterans with traumatic brain injury that also um, requires this same type of care and mindfulness. Maybe you could, first of all, explain what mindfulness is to some people who may not know what that is and then how you got into this. Sure. Um, so great question and great, great place to start. So, Mindfulness, you will hear used in mainstream media, in social media, in in books, everywhere. You'll hear mindfulness used synonymously with meditation. And though there's a lot of overlap between what mindfulness is and what meditation is, they're not the same. Mindfulness is a way of living. Mindfulness is really nothing more than being present in the here and now paying attention to your physical and emotional sensations in the here and now without any judgment and not being concerned about with what happened yesterday or even five minutes ago and not thinking about what's going to happen tomorrow or even five minutes from now. Mindfulness is a way of living. Meditation, on the other hand, is is a formal practice where you set aside time to focus on some anchor, whether that's your breath whether that's a mantra, a body scan, whatever the case may be, that is meditation. And then there is overlap between mindfulness and meditation, both in that 
There is mindfulness meditation. That again is where you're focused on the here and now, this present moment, the physical and emotional sensations that one is experiencing in this present moment um, in a formal practice. And then they're also related in that as you meditate, you are able to live more mindfully because it does actually rewire the brain to be more present, to be more focused on the present moment. And then as you live mindfully, meditation becomes easier. So mindfulness begets better meditation and meditation begets better mindfulness. And how I got into it personally was, as you mentioned, there's uh, traumatic brain injuries, there's post-traumatic stress, there's survivor guilt, imposter syndrome, moral injury within the military. And I have all of those, unfortunately, and, and that caused me a lot of stress and anxiety and depression. And I eventually got introduced to mindfulness and meditation by a counselor who thought that it would help me. And in all honesty, I laughed at him when he recommended mindfulness and meditation. I probably, in my mind, thought that the glass of wine, glass of wine would be better. And uh, don't get me wrong, I still enjoy a good glass of wine. Uh, but the, the meditation, to me, was uh, quote-unquote woo-woo. It was kind of this snake oil to me, and I didn't really understand what it did and why it was effective. And this counselor uh, sat me down and explained the science behind it, what actually is physiologically happening in your mind, in your body, in your nervous system when you meditate, and how that allows you to live more mindfully and be happier in the present moment, be more at peace in the present moment. And that's what I was seeking. That's what I was looking for. Um, and I was also looking for uh, a performance boost. And he told me that, uh, you know, and I would, through the practice of meditation and living mindfully, I would be able to boost my mental focus, boost my productivity, boost my creativity, and also boost my physical edge. And as a special operator, I'm always looking for some type of physical enhancement. And if that's a physical edge over the enemy on the battlefield, or if that's a physical edge over my buddy right next to me, I'm always looking for that edge. So that's how he kind of quote unquote sold meditation to me. And uh, I started practicing and about eight or nine weeks after practicing, I started to see the difference in how I perceived the world and how I responded to the world and how I uh, was performing. And that sold it to me for the long haul. And uh, I started getting very interested in, in reading more about it, learning more about it, and realized that it was now a duty and an obligation of mine to pay it forward and share what I consider to be life-changing and life-saving practices with anyone who will listen. So that's well, how I got Well, we're here into. to listen. And, I, and you know, we've <laughs> got some listeners eager to hear. And, you know, our, our show is, you know, guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia, but that means being here for the caregivers as well. And as sure. someone who, who did that for seven years with Mike's dad and what I describe now is um, creative problem solving on the run, um, but being hyper vigilant for, you know, day, night after night to the point where I was having panic attacks and migraines and my hair was falling out and wow. not sleeping at night because I was going over not only what I had dealt with during the day, but what possi possibly could happen the next day. Um, so never really resting. And in the years after, um, 
it took me a long time to realize that part of what I was dealing with was a form of PTSD because I was still processing all of that and I still was hypervigilant to everything around me and I was the only one that could be in control of the situation. I certainly could have used your wisdom <laughs> at, you know, at, at that time because it took it took so much. I can now understand why some caregivers die before the people that they're caring for. Piggybacking on that, uh, John. So in in our case and in many, many, many cases of dementia caregiving, there is no time. It's not to equate what you go through in combat, getting shot at, as opposed to what, what you're doing here, but that hypervigilance and that hyper-awareness 24-7 the caregiver doesn't have a lot of time because you don't know what's coming up next, just like in combat. How do you how do you reconcile not having time and meditating in mindfulness? Can you give any tips on that? Sure. I will tell you, I, I haven't experienced being a caretaker of of an adult, but I have three young children. Um, I have a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a six-month-old. And I'm definitely their caretaker or one of their caretakers, right? And I understand that hypervigilance, you know, if, mm -hmm. if I if I hear the, the smallest cry, uh, I assume the worst. <laughs> and right. and that's that's how we're wired. We're wired with what's called the negativity bias. Negativity bias is for us to assume the worst in everything. Because if we assume the worst and we're wrong, then we're okay. But if we assume the best in everything and we're wrong, a lot of the time we're going to be disappointed. So the negativity bias is kind of a natural human condition that can be overcome with, with meditation can be one of the things that can help with that. Gratitude journaling uh, can help with that. Um, but coming back to your, your question as far as the time, um, it, as, as a parent with three young ones, I, I don't have a whole lot of time. We don't have a whole lot of time. My, my beautiful bride and I don't have a whole lot of time. But what I tell people about meditation and mindfulness, what it does for you is one, it allows you to be more focused and in the moment so that you can be more pro productive and get into those states of flow that we hear about um, or the, that Zen state or the zone, whatever you want to call it. You get into that more often so that you're able to accomplish more in less time. And you're more focused on those things so you actually enjoy the process more. So you come through the day accomplishing more, one. Two, you do it in less time. And three, you enjoy it more so you have this sense of fulfillment. So the time that you have, whether it's with the one that you're taking care of or whether it's by yourself or whether it's with your friends and colleagues, you actually enjoy that time. So you get a return on investment by putting in that investment of time, whether it's 10 minutes, whether it's two minutes of meditation and living mindfully. Uh, it accumulates, the, the return accumulates over time. If, if all you can do is two minutes to start, then do that. Uh, you know, I have friends who tell me that they won't meditate because they don't have enough time. Well, I'm like, hey, do you have two minutes? Because I, I saw you on social media last night, and it seemed like you had two minutes when you're, you know, watching that YouTube video. If, if you're able to take two minutes and you do that regularly, and then eventually build a practice from it, 
the the, the effects are cumulative, uh, much like getting into the gym. Most people are like, well, I can't get in the gym because I can't do an hour-long workout. Well, do you have to do an hour-long workout to experience the benefits? Most likely not. If you do you know, 10, 15 minutes on a treadmill or a 10, 15-minute walk with your dog, you're going to get something out of that. Same with meditation. If you're able to do just a little bit here and there, the, the effects, the positive effects add up. So we can find some time. And then ultimately, when we do find the time, we're going to end up making time as well for ourselves, making more quality time, time that we're actually going to enjoy, time that we're going to be, we're going to be people that people want to be around. So that's, uh, that's normally my response. Now, I have a, a couple of comments. Thinking about what the worst scenario is, as opposed to, is it going to happen? We're very different in that way. I am very much anticipating what can go wrong. Mike is very much, it hasn't gone wrong, why worry about it? Um, <laughs> so there was that little bit of, that little, a lot of bit of conflict there in that, you know, I felt that I, it's, it's, it's part of who I am. And, you know, I know that I live with a certain uh, amount of anxiety. And one of the things that I've learned and one of the things that I try to teach caregivers is exactly what you're saying they are very often isolated, taking care of somebody that needs to be watched 24-7. Don't have time, is what they say, to take care of themselves. And there's always somebody saying, you know, take care of yourself first because you don't think it, you can't take care of other people if you, if you don't take care of yourself. Right. The answer is, I don't have any time for it. Um, but one of the things that I learned at a caregiver conference and I often share is, just five finger breathing and 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 I guess this is part of of what you teach was you know inhale as you go right. up hold for five down and and then the time that you've you've used all five fingers you've at least been able to settle yourself in in, in rid some of that anxiety um, right. I often tell people even go in the bathroom and cry, you know, or go out on the deck and scream um, to get some of that pressure out. Um, and I also have a tendency to think if I give in to something like that, it means that I'm weak. And it's mm. not. It means right. that there's a pressure valve that your your body and your mind is telling you you need to let go of some of this stuff. Um, I'm hoping that some of that falls into what you're teaching people. And uh, maybe you have some tips better than the ones that I'm sharing. I don't know necessarily that they're better. Uh, they're just different. I think those are great coping me mechanisms that you've shared there. Uh, I teach my, my five-year-old the, the five-finger breath, you know, five, in for five, hold, and then just trace your fingers. And that, that's, you know, that's great in that, one, you're focusing on the breath, but you're also focusing on the tactile sensation in your hand. And when you're focusing on that breath and the tactile sensation, it's really hard to think about other things. It's hard to think about the pain, the emotional pain that you may be experiencing. It's hard to think about the anxiety that you have assuming the worst is going to happen because you're very focused on the here and now. So that's a great coping mechanism. Uh, I think the going outside and, and just letting that, that uh, relief valve open up and yelling. Um, when I used to run track and cross country in, in, uh, in high school, um, we would warm up before the before the race, obviously, and then we, when we were finished warming up, we would all go into our team van and close the door and all yell 
individually um, for five or 10 seconds as loud as we could just to let that anxiety go. You know, you have, an, you have this anxiety before you race. And, uh, and I would always feel better about that. So I think that's also a great coping mechanism. Obviously, you want to you manage where you do that so that people don't uh, assume that something is wrong when, when all you're doing is letting off a little steam. But absolutely, those are great ones. Um, we, we do, I, I do teach that. Um, I teach, um, what just what's called a BAMO breath, breathe and move on. And I do that as part of one of the organizations that, that, uh, I do some coaching with, uh, the organization is called my steady mind and, uh, the, the breathe and move on BAMO, um, that helps people out. You know, sometimes you have no more than just two or three seconds coming back to your time question, Mike, maybe that's all the time you need is just to take a second, just to pause right. in between the stimulus, whether that stimulus is a physical stimulus or that, whether it's an emotional stimulus and the thought that's eventually going to drive the emotion and the action. If you're able to take that breath, deep breath in, hold it for a second and nice slow breath out, you can change how your body is going to respond. You can make it respond rather than react. And a lot of the time, your response is going to be more rational and applicable to the situation than your natural reaction. A lot of the time, the reaction is not going to be appropriate. It's not going to be rational. It's going to be all over the place. And, you know, the, the ones that you're caring for are going to notice that. And they're going to feel that, uh, whether it's children or elderly or sick, they're going to feel that. So if you're able to just take a breath literally at one single nice deep breath after you see a stimulus that may cause some anxiety, may cause some fear. If you're able to just take one deep breath and release that nice and slowly, that can change the outcome dramatically, the outcome for you and the outcome for, for the one that you're caring for. So those are, those are some other coping mechanisms that you can add to, to your tool belt, if you will. You know, John, let me, if I can just interject for a second, one of the things that's very prevalent with caregivers is caregiver guilt, right? Mm. Something went wrong and you reacted uh, improperly or didn't react good enough. And Bobby always says, if you feel the caregiver guilt, take it, embrace it, take a minute or two, and then let it go. And that sounds very much like the BAMO, right? Take it. Yeah breathe and let it go. Um, so that's yeah. kind of in line with something that Bobby talks a lot about. Do you have any more tips? Yeah. I, and one, I just want to touch on the take it, embrace it and let it go. One of my friends says is, and it's, it's probably not his, but, uh, but he uses it a lot is, is that the way out, the only way out of pain, the only way out of guilt, the only way out of shame is through. So only way out is through. A lot of the time what we do as human beings is we feel that guilt, we feel that shame, we feel that pain, and we just want to suppress it, push it away. We, want, we have this fear of what, what we perceive as a negative emotion. And any negative emotion, we, we're like, well, we're not supposed to experience that. It's too hurtful. Some people tell you don't feel guilty. That you shouldn't right. feel guilty. I mean, when my, when I would share with Mike, you know, that I felt that I had failed that day in, in um, 
you know, and he'd say, oh, you know, there's no reason to feel that way. You're doing the best you can. Um, and I had a neighbor that said guilt is a useless emotion. Just don't pay any attention to it. And there's a lot of advice out there about telling people how not to feel guilty when as human beings, we have a unique ability to assign blame to ourselves when things don't go the way they think that they should. So we are going right. to feel that guilt. So what right. you're teaching and what I try to teach people is go ahead, accept it for a few minutes or a few seconds, and then move on because right. you're doing the best you can in the moment. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You you are. Um and and you can learn from that guilt too, right? So, why do why do you feel that guilt? If you just continue to say, "Well, don't feel guilty," then you're most likely going to run into that same situation again because you didn't learn, you didn't take a you didn't take a pause to learn why you felt guilty. So, coming back to the guilt, the shame, the pain, those perceived negative emotions, it's okay to feel those, and embrace them, like you say actually take take them and, and look at them, quote unquote, look at them and say, okay, why am I feeling this way? Well, it's because I did or didn't do X, Y, or Z. Okay, now I've learned that and then let it go. And, and then the next time that same or a similar situation pops up, now you've learned the lesson. Now you know that you will feel pain, shame, or guilt if you do or don't do X, Y, or Z, and this time you make, a, you make an intentional choice to do the right thing. Do the thing that you need to do so that you won't feel guilty, so that you won't feel shame, so that you won't feel pain. You know, a lot of people walk into caregiving, especially for dementia, with not understanding what the behaviors will be or how to respond to them. Um, mm. So in taking it out and looking at it, as you said, it could be, you know, why did I feel guilt on this person this day? Well, I lost my temper with him because he asked the same question 15 times in a row and I was tired of listening to it. But right. if somebody explains to me that this is, you know, part of the brain damage, you can change that by ask, answering the question differently each time until you break that, that loop that the brain is stuck in, then maybe I won't mm. lose my temper the next time. But right. having felt that guilt, if I can understand like you said, take it out and look at it. What made me feel that right. way? And the, the same exact or very similar situations can occur with children, right? Again, I've got the four-year-old, the two-year-old, and, and the six-month-old. None of their brains are as developed as ours as adults. So they're going to ask a lot of the same questions over and over and over. They're going to whine when they don't get their way. Um, and that, as an adult, as a grown-up, you try to rationalize what it is. You're like, okay, look. I mean, this this is an example, right? You say, look, kid, this this is why X, Y, or Z is that way. Or stop whining because you didn't get your way. Well, that kid, their brain is not developed, and they don't they can't have the rational thought that you're trying. They they can't even understand the rational thought that you're trying to convey to them. So we, as the ones who are in control, we have to be in control of our own minds and emotions and realize, hey, there's, there's a reason they're asking that question 15 times over. There's a reason that they're whining because they can't watch a certain show or they're whining 
for some completely irrational reason uh, because it's their brain is not developed to the point that they can make those connections. Or on the flip side, for the elderly or uh, dementia, those who are experiencing dementia, now their brain is, is damaged, but it's the same thing. They can't make those connections. They, they can't rationalize and have those rational thoughts that we can. So we're the ones who have to take a step back and say, okay, this is what's happening. But sometimes the natural human reaction <laughs> takes over and we still get upset. And you know what? It's okay. It's okay. Um, but we need to take a step back and say, okay, why did we get upset about that? Why did I, why did I get upset when my kid was complaining in the back seat and, and yell at him? Well, because I had had a stressful day, I had, um, you know, whatever the list is that life throws at you, the only way out of that guilt is through it, embrace it, take a look at it, see why it happened, learn from it, and then move on. It's uh, absolutely critical in everything that we do, not just in guilt, but throughout our life all day long, every day. Now, one of the things I noticed is that you have a program called M2, right? Mindfulness and Movement Experience. That's right. So the Mindfulness and Movement Experience is an experience that um, I helped to put together with my teammate and friend, Teresa Larson. She's a doctor of physical therapy, a former Marine, and also a former softball uh, pro athlete. Um, she experienced her own battles um, quite literally on the battlefield and then figuratively in her mind and her body um, in the Marine Corps. And she has learned that movement helps with that. And when I say movement, I'm not meaning going to the gym and, and you know, crushing your soul. I mean, movement, <laughs> stretching, flexing, um, bending, getting some mobility and some flexibility back into your body. And then she realized that there's the mind-body connection. So what, what I teach is the meditation and living mindfully as part of the mindfulness and movement experience. And what it is, is it's 21 days where both things, the mindfulness and the movement come into play so that you can heal your body and your mind together. Literally, you can gain some movement and mobility, but also you can gain some a better perspective on life. You can gain that sense of peace and fulfillment. Um, and it's 21 days. And what we do is we start that 21 days as a cohort. So you can't just sign up and start that day. You can sign up and you wait until a cohort starts and we all go through it together and, and offer support and accountability to one another as we're going through that program. And the reason it's 21 days is that it takes about 21 days to start a, uh, a habit. Yes. Uh, it's, it's been proven that it takes about 66 on average to really get that habit ingrained and automatic. But to get it started, it, it takes about 21 days. And we want to help people start a habit of wellness and emotional and physical freedom through mindfulness and movement. Awesome. Um it, it it's funny because I was I was sitting here thinking not nah, nah, here's a special ops guy and he has to have somebody else do the the movement but as you said it's it's stretching it's not brute force so to speak right um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, stretching and elongating of the muscles as opposed to super strength of the muscles oh I I, I tell you I I need everything that Teresa teaches um, <laughs> you know I've got lower back pain I've got 
uh, poor shoulder mobility and poor knees and hips. And, and she walks us through all that. And, uh, you know, when you're able to alleviate some physical pain, that allows you to focus more on what you need mentally and emotionally. And then, and then you can heal that way as well. So there is truly an inextricable connection there between the mind and body and spirit. And if you're able to work on the three all together, you're ultimately going to work to feel better. So, Well, John, um, really, really thank you for coming on to the show. It's been, uh, as usual, we learn a lot. And I'm sure our listeners got a lot out of it because, you know, when we were going through this, and as I've said many times, Bobby took the lion's share of, of about 90% of the care from my dad because I had that mm. pesky day job thing. But mm, right. um, the things that we didn't know then are things that a lot of our listeners don't know. And what we try to do is move them forward with their knowledge base. And I think this will help them tremendously, like you said, even if it's two minutes, even if it's four minutes, or two minutes, four right. times a day, that they can exactly. get something out of it. I, I, I think that's really important that we move the needle forward to our, for our listeners. Absolutely, absolutely. So again, thank you for taking the time to be with us and share with our listeners. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And again, thank you for what it is you guys are doing and what you stand for. You know, I made the notes... Uh, uh, Bamo, breathe and move on. Yes. And also, when you feel the guilt, take it out and look at it and, and figure out what it is that caused you to feel that way. And then you can release it. Then you can figure out ways to address it and make it easier right. for you and the person in your care as you move on. And I like the way he um, described the mindfulness as the here and now, you know, which is overlaps a lot with meditation, but is different than meditation that it's here and now as opposed to some process of getting in there. Um, so I think I think our listeners will get a lot out of that. You can find more information about John and mentalkingmindfulness.com on our show website at rogerthat.show. This has been Roger That. I'm Bobby. And I'm Mike. And we are dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. So please subscribe to the show, go to iTunes, post a review, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question or issue you'd like for us to address, please post on the Roger That Facebook page. To find out more about us, head over to rogerthat.show. That's Roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, that.show. Roger That is produced by Missing Link, a media podcast company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Also in the Missing Link lineup of podcasts is the designated drinker show, the podcast Raising the Bar on Craft Cocktails. Here you meet interesting folks, enjoy boozy banter, and learn how to make craft cocktails from a master. And if you're looking for a whole new way to enjoy theater, check out Between Acts, an immersive audio theater podcast experience. Each episode takes you on a spellbinding journey through the works of newfound playwrights, from dramas to comedies and all those in between. Find Missing Link's League of Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe, download, and review the shows as your review helps our show reach new audiences. To find out more about Missing Link, visit missinglink.company. <laughs>